Welcome to season four of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of diversity in leadership teams and how this can translate to tangible benefits for organizations. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Eva Houston, Chief Strategy Officer at Duck Creek Technologies. Eva, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Greg. Why don't we uh, start by you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing at Duck Creek. Great. Yes. As, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Duck Creek Technologies. I've been at Duck Creek since uh, August of 2020, so I'm a pandemic joined to the company, <laughs> which has been interesting. Um, and what I do at Duck Creek is, uh, the way I like to describe it is I orchestrate strategy. And why I use that word is it's really a team effort for us to think about how we're going to serve the insurance industry with our um, SaaS in the cloud software. Great. Well, let's dive in here and, you know, really looking forward to talking about this topic. Uh, let's let's talk um, about why diversity in leadership is so important. So um, why don't we start by how would you characterize the short as well as the long-term benefits of a more diverse leadership and executive team? Yeah, I, I mean, it's something that I think about a lot and, you know, having grown up in industries that um, have been, you know, male-dominated tech, before that I was in banking, um, you know, it's it's one of the things that's really near and dear to my heart. And the way I think about it is the benefit of diversity is really that we get to harness the power of a lot of different people who have creative ideas. And I think that creativity, particularly in business, is really important. Um, the, the other benefits in terms of having diverse workforces, we're providing opportunities for all sorts of people. I mean, you know, I think that that's important. And it also allows us to really represent the people who we serve. I mean, if I think about insurance and what we do, I mean, you know, everybody um, of all different walks of life, different backgrounds is insured. And in order for insurance to be good for them, I think we need people with those perspectives. So as a, as a woman leader in the tech industry, and as you mentioned, you know, you've been in, in several, um, several industries that are historically male populated. Uh, what are some of the things that companies can do, uh, you know, given that there's, there's definitely short and long-term benefits, you know, what can companies do to provide the same type of opportunities to people that might not fit the typical stereotype? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually, I'll start with one thing, sort of my, whenever I describe myself, I, I prefer to describe myself as a leader who happens to be a woman as opposed to a woman leader, hmm. um, because I think leaders come from all different walks of, of life. Yeah. And, you know, what I think that um, we, what we can really do is start with an open mind. I mean, when you want to have a diverse organization, you have to start with an open mind. And in my career, I mean, look, I've been really fortunate to have just this amazing career that continues on and just loving everything that I'm doing at Duck Creek. But I've always taken roles that I haven't done before. Um, I've always had a non-traditional path. I mean, I graduated from Georgetown with a degree in international politics. And then I became a banker and then I became a CFO and then I became a chief strategy officer. That's not really typical. And the thing that I've benefited from is that people, I had people who believed in me, who saw not, you know, did I kind of climb the ladder in the order that everybody else did, 
but did I have the skills? Did I have the passion? Did I have the drive to contribute to the organization? And so I think when we are leading organizations, we need to start with the open mind that, you know, everybody has something that they can contribute. Um, Their resume may not look exactly like the traditional path, but that actually might even be sort of a, you know, one of their superpowers because they came up a different way. They might have a different approach that can really uh, drive the business in in a better and different way. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, uh, you know, that goes both ways as well as far as not only the leaders having an open mind, but also providing tools and just the, I think the comfort or, you know, this might be where psychological safety comes in, where uh, people can stretch, you know, you mentioned you yourself stretched a bit. And I personally, I know that one as well. It's just, um, if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm comfortable, I'm probably not doing enough or I'm not doing the right thing. So, you know, how, how can leaders also provide that kind of safety where, Maybe you do something, it's 100% of the time, it's it's not the right fit, but you give people that that safety to be able to do that. Yeah, well, I think it, it really does start from, I think, as a leader, being, um, being human, um, being authentic, admitting that we make mistakes too. Um, you know, trust me, I've made plenty of mistakes in my careers, uh, none of them fatal. And, and I think that's really, you know, if you kind of go back to actually childhood, that's how we learn, right? Yeah. Um, so what it's important for a leader to do is to sort of assess the, you know, the people that are, are on their team and saying, like, where can they stretch and say, no, go do this. And when the person says, well, I don't know, I haven't done that before, really encourage them to say, that's OK. You know, we, there's a first time for everything. Um, I think the other thing that is really important that kind of comes out is that um, by encouraging people who haven't done things before, we get different thinking. And uh, there's a there's a quote from Einstein. I'll probably butcher it. But basically, it says we can't we can't solve problems by using the same thinking we always had. And so if we're looking to drive our businesses to be better, we need those people to think differently. And I think showing people that that is a power that they have, bringing that different mindset to it, even if they don't do it exactly perfectly the first time, is how we can give people that that comfort to go and go and try something. You know, having been a leader in, in several organizations, including Duck Creek Technologies, where you currently are, what are some ways that you've personally seen diversity help? And, and benefit these organizations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've seen it in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, like I said, I think there is this, you know, people coming at things a different way. I mean, having perspectives, you know, that, that you haven't seen before. I mean, whether it's, you know, based on, you know, somebody is a woman or a man. Um, actually, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I think is, is interesting when I see women in the workforce, because they do have a different experience in life. Um, many of them, like myself, may be mothers and have that experience of, you know, um, raising children and trying to trying to help children find their way in the world. And I think that, you know, not that we want to call any of our, our colleagues children, but we are all hopefully growing <laughs> in the way children are. And I think yeah. that women sometimes bring that people might call it nurturing, but I actually call it coaching. I think that ability to come in and say, well, what is somebody where is their gap and how do I help them get there? Um, I think that's an example. I think you also see people who come from different cultural backgrounds where there may be different expectations in terms of, I mean, maybe even there might be different expectations in terms of what teamwork means. Um, you know, I think that in um, in the Western world, we often have a very individualistic view of ourselves as a part of a team. And in other cultures, it's really the individual is subsumed into the team. And so I think when you see those type of things kind of come out indirectly in the workforce, the companies get better. 
Um, I would also add that I think that there's just this, this sense of camaraderie when we create a place where people can not just, you know, bring their diversity, but expose their diversity, I guess is the way I would say it, when people um, you know, share things about their their cultural backgrounds. I mean, we do some some really fun things at um, at Duck Creek in terms of celebrating, you know, different holidays and different cultural backgrounds. And I, you know, I'm always amazed to just learn about these things. And when you do that, and people are sort of free and open to be themselves, I think the biggest thing is it takes this sort of mental overhead out, which can be then more productive and make people happier. I mean, if you have to spend 20% of your time, 30% of your time, 50% of your time pretending to be something that you aren't because you want to fit in, yeah. that's just wasted brain power. So um, I think when I see organizations where there isn't that overhead to kind of be like everybody else, I think they're just more productive. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I do, that's, an, that's a really interesting way of looking at that is that there's kind of, there's there's pressure to conform even mm-hmm. when there is more um, a more homogenous workforce. So it's not it's not like you you get away from that. And I think I think also the, you know the other the under, other interesting thing that that you're bringing up. I mean, and I've experienced this too. Is you know if I'm on a team and everybody immediately agrees with everything that I say or or something like that, what do we really gain? You know, we don't need right. a team if we all right. agree and we all come from the same background and we all have the same opinions. Like where I've, you know, there's, there are definitely um, dysfunctional ways of, of disagreeing and, and arguing and, and things like that, but where I've found the most benefit and where I've learned the most, where I've pushed, you know, if I was a consultant, pushed my clients the most, if I was in-house, pushed the company the most is when there was some disagreement and just completely different ways of looking at things. Even if we went back and, and, and we're similar to the the original starting point. At least we got to look at it from different ways. And I think what you're talking about is, you know, that openness to embracing those those differences and and not being afraid to disagree. I think that's so valuable. Yeah, I, I love that you say that because I always say one thing that I really dislike when I'm in in work and and I go into a meeting and I say, hey, I have a great idea, and I'm I'm usually pretty passionate about my ideas. Yeah. And everyone says that's a great idea, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you have nothing to say. You have no no reason to tell me why this is not a good idea or how we might do it differently. So I think being in an organization where people feel comfortable doing that and it doesn't feel like it's an attack on the person for who they are, but it's just more of a, let's put it, constructive, um, you know, healthy competition in terms of ideas. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I can I can be in a room full of people that agree with my idea when I'm alone. <laughs> you know, I, what I want right. what I want is is yeah, that I like that that healthy competition and that you know where I mean everybody wins because they're they're working together as opposed to you know that that idea that you have to own the winning idea or something like that. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about future leaders and the future of the workforce. Um, so, in the industry, insurance industry specifically, older generations are retiring, and according yeah. to a recent survey, only thirty-seven point six percent of Gen Z students are interested in the insurance industry as a career option. So, um, you know, what does that say to you? And uh, you know, what would you say to these younger generations that feel this industry is stagnant? Yeah, well, I would say a couple of things. I mean, one, I think that when you look under the covers of insurance, you'll actually find it's really dynamic. I mean, if you are, you know, thinking about, um, you know, building software, if you're thinking about analytics, if you're thinking about how data 
can make the world better. I mean, these are all things that are happening in insurance companies today. And so I actually think that there's a great opportunity for the next generation to come in and reinvent some of the older ways that insurance has has operated. Um, I would also say that I think one of the things that's really amazing about insurance and particularly for people, you know, who talk about, you know, wanting to be mission oriented, wanting to have something beyond, you know, just coming in and doing a job and getting a paycheck. If you think about insurance, I mean, you know, it's got to be one of the industries that's just so foundational to making the world work. And the reason why I say that is if you think about it, insurance is something you don't want to think about um, until you need it and then you just want it to work. And what that means is it's really something that provides a layer of security for us. You know, if something were to happen, if your, you know, apartment were to be burgled and, you know, your bike was stolen and the fact that you could get a new bike without having to go and work months to, to get that or, you know, yeah. other more catastrophic scenarios, um, that security lets you take some risks. Um, and, and by taking risk in the world, that's how we get better. You know, we kind of go back to your point about like, how do individuals take risk and be okay that they can fail? I think insurance in, a, in an economic sense provides that because if you have that base layer of knowing like, okay, well, if everything's stolen out of my apartment, I can still, you know, still go get a bed and survive. Um, that if, if you didn't have that, you would behave very differently. And we need people to take risk in the world because we need the world to keep getting better. So um, you can be super quantitative if you're worried about it being boring. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> and then if you're, you know, if you think about, wanting to contribute to the world, I think that it's a great industry to be able to do that in. What do you think the, what do you think companies can do um, to, to change kind of that messaging? Cause you know, I, I think a lot of people are, they see the consumer facing part of it and, mm -hmm. or they have some stereotype of a door to door, you know, insurance salesperson or, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that, you know, what can, what can companies do to, um, you know, to, to attract this younger generation of talent because they're they're going to be the leaders right in, in 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 a little bit here so you know how, how do they attract that younger generation of talent yeah, i i think that it's about um us telling the stories about how insurance impacts people's individual lives i think that people relate to it much more easily when they see it that way as opposed to you know what is the loss ratio and all of those things that are very technical um actually i've had a lot of experience since i've uh uh now been in insurance for, gosh, you know, more than a decade. Um, I always tested my stories out on my children um, because they were like, what do you do? Like, how, how does this all work? And so I would say, okay, well, you know, you have all these toys in your closet. What if our, you know, house caught on fire, the insurance would help buy those new toys. I mean, they're older now, so they don't really care about that. Right, but right. <laughs> I think that, that trying to show people how insurance has impacted their lives um, and how it can impact other people's lives. I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot having um, spent um, all of the, the pandemic uh, era in New York City and just seeing all these small businesses close down because they didn't have the safety net of business interruption insurance for a variety of reasons we can go into historically. But one of the things I think about is like, what if we were able to find a way to use data and analytics to ensure the unknown, um, which I guess is basically what, you know, what COVID has been. Yeah. If, if, you know, 10% more of those businesses had stayed in business and they had employed the people who they employed regularly and they had provided the services to the people who lived here, you know, in New York City, like what a better place we would be in today. And so those are the kind of exciting things that I think about. Now, you know, I think people will tell you traditionally, well, you know, you 
it's it would be hard to achieve because of the following things but i look at it more as like let's let's dream and let's try to find ways in a very analytic business oriented way but to help insurance serve the world in ways it hasn't before yeah i mean do you think the i totally agree with you and um you know i i see in any um you know financial services or or insurance related area there's there's definitely, it feels like there's a lot of baggage as far as, you know, stereotypes about industries or whatever. But to your point, I think as software and as technology continues to, you know, the, the quote, you know, software is eating the world. You know, I think it's, it's certainly, it's certainly happening in, in areas like insurance. And to me, that's exciting as, as somebody that's a tech technology optimist and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would seem to me that, a younger, you know, a younger generation that's excited about things like, you know, getting involved in data science and, and all of those things could really, um, you know, insurance would be an industry that, uh, to your point about insuring the unknown, like that's, that seems like a great challenge to the right person, right? Yeah. Well, and honestly, I mean, I think your stat was 37% would be interested. That's not too bad. I mean, more than a third. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. you know, yeah, I'd like to get that up higher, but I mean, look, it's never going to be a hundred percent for any industry. Right. Um, right. Or right. if it is, <laughs> then, you know, people are just saying they want to do it because everyone else is doing it. Um, so right. I'd love to have that 37% or more of those folks who are passionate about what we're doing, you know, come and join us. And um, yeah, I think the other thing is it's a lot of, it is a lot of fun. I mean, there is a real tangible outcome. I mean, we produce the software that basically makes this all work. So when there is a hurricane and somebody needs their roof repaired, that that can get done quickly, appropriately, and they can kind of get back to their regular life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one last question before we wrap up and and along the lines of of future leaders. So, um, you know, in addition to creating opportunities for more diversity and equity now, as well as um, you know, ensuring those younger talent pools consider the insurance industry early in their career. It's also important that organizations plan for their future leadership. So, you know, what are some ways, in addition to simply attracting them to the organization, you know, what are some ways that you recommend that companies look for planning their future leadership? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it has to start um, really early in a person's career and encouraging those leadership traits, even if they're not, you know, technically whatever you might you know, rank as a leader within an organization. Um, you know, one of the things that I always say is you can, you don't need a title to be a leader. A leader is really somebody who is able to sort of marshal resources to make something better. I mean, that would probably be the simplest way of, of thinking about a leader, inspiring people to make things better. Um, and, I, you know, I think encouraging people, even when they're young in their careers, to take those opportunities, um, even in you know when they're in little little small bites, I think is is a great way because then when they get to you know the level in the organization in which you're like you're now a leader, they've been doing it for years. Um, you know one of the things that I, I often saw back when I was uh, working in investment banking is you would have people who were great performers, and then they'd get to a level and somebody would say okay now you're in charge of being the leader of this area. And they really had not had that experience in a way that prepared them for that. Now, some yeah. people were able to step up and do a great job and others, you know, they they were more um, a person who would prefer to kind of work on their own and, and do deals and transactions. But I think it just goes to anything like there's it's never too early to start training skills. And I think leadership is a skill 
not just in the business world, but in, you know, in the world more, more broadly. I mean, how do we show people, uh, what, what the world can look like, how it can be good and how we can do good things. You know, even on a daily basis, you're walking down the street and you see a piece, piece of trash, you pick it up, it's not yours and you put it in the trash can. I mean, yeah. that's leadership too. So I think that sometimes we overweight these words, um, you know, and it, it, and it's, you know, I, I always laugh whenever people are like, I'm the chief strategy officer of Duck Creek, because it, to me that feels very weighted. But what yeah. it, it really is, it's trying to find a way that we can enhance what we're doing to make the world better. Yeah, I, I love that. Love that definition. That's great. Well, Eva, thank you so much for joining the show. This was great talking with you. Um, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, you can uh, check us out on uh, our website at duckcreek.com. Um, you can also uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you're interested in some of the things that I post, which are a mix of things about the insurance industry um, for those who aren't in the 37% interested yet, <laughs> um, but also really about leadership, um, diversity, um, women leaders, and yeah, just sometimes some fun things too. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Eva Houston, Chief Strategy Officer at Duck Creek Technologies for joining the show. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkilstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.